There are only a few songs recorded that genuinely deserve to be listened to loud, and I mean really, really loud. Very few songs, but there this, are many, uh, many, many, many songs. <laughs> like um, oh, this is one of those songs. The production. Listen to this. Let's go. Let's have it up a bit. Here we go. Listen to that. Manu Catch on drums, the bass line, the Memphis horn section, audio perfection. And on this day in 86, Peter Gabriel hits number one with the song here, Sledgehammer. Uh, I, I mean, what a song, uh, Chris Wickider. But you ascertain that there are others that could be played loud as well? Oh, well, if you're thinking from a similar era, Phil Collins in the air tonight. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. With the drum oh, God, solo. Yes, yes. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Needless to say, though, what a song, though, Cindy A. It's pretty cool. Well, you know the thing about when you turn music up loud when you're driving? You yeah. know what happens? No, what? You go faster. Okay. It's a proven scientific fact. Your favourite song, scientific, scientific fact, I yep. tell you, your favourite song comes on the radio, what do you do? You turn it up, you blast it so your windows shake, and guess what? You drive faster. It's just that Pavlovian response. Yes. So maybe that could be part of our speed education message. <laughs> yes, listen, turn your radio down. Listen to <laughs> Phil Collins on a or lower volume. Stereo, sorry. Yeah. All right. <laughs> it's 25 to 5. The panel are in dead national. Yeah, oh gosh, yeah, the feedback continu- continues to roll in. Uh, there you go, Sledgehammer, I agree, fantastic. Um, regarding both whether or not you have a moral obligation to look, look after your um, children's kids as a grandparent, a lot on that, and is three days bereavement leave too much? We might come back to both those issues uh, later on. But to this, now according to the Global Tax Justice Network's report, New Zealand has missed out on hundreds of millions of dollars in taxes due to multinational companies shifting their profits offshore. They estimate, the estimate rather, of how much tax money we've missed out on is around $270 million. Imagine what we could do with that, transport, health, cyclone recovery, uh, just a few things that spring to mind. With us is Glenn Barclay, the chairperson of Tax Justice Aotearoa, one of the people who was behind that letter of calling for uh, well, uh, outlining the 91 wealthy individuals prepared to pay more tax in this country. Glenn, kia ora. Kia ora. Now, first up, Glenn, uh, I must mention this because on who had a question time today, Nationals uh, uh, a spokesperson Nicola Willis, uh, Nationals Nicholas Willis rather, told reporters she had seen a policy from Labour which would drive GST off fruit and vegetables. Um, so, uh, Nash, National, sorry, Labour is not commentating at all on that. But I just might ask you a quick thought. Would you support that um, policy, wiping GST off fruit and veggies? Look, Tax Justice Aotearoa, we're, we're, we're part of a, a coalition called Better Taxes for a Better Future, which is doing some campaigning around taxes for this election. Um, look, we, we don't endorse any policies by any political parties, but we do uh, feel free to welcome particular initiatives because they're heading in the right direction. So when it comes to the question of, of fresh fruit and um, you know, what things uh, GST should apply to or not, uh, look, GST is a regressive tax, we know that, and we also know that we're very dependent on it um, in New Zealand as a source of revenue. Um, we, there's nothing to stop um, 
uh, any party, and I see Te Party Māori has also got a similar uh, policy that they've announced today. Now, I, to me, that's, that goes to one of our principles, which is that the tax system should not only do things that, like uh, tax those who can most afford it, but it could or should also look at the impact on those who can least afford it. And that policy does that. Um, All right. And, uh, yeah. Just quickly on the panel, we'll come back to you, Glenn, just a word on this. Uh, Chris, supported or no? Um, well, yeah, the whole... <laughs> yeah, now that I've become a business owner, I think, oh, I pay too much tax. You know, I'm one of these guys who's who's probably fiscally a little right of centre, um, socially left of centre, but then it doesn't match up in the middle of how you pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> OK, didn't answer. Um, Cindy? I'm a 100 supporter of no GST on fruit and vegetables. There's none in Australia and, you know, if we look at our societal problems and what are we here all day, every day, it's, you know, the cost of food is crazy and this is good food. Okay, well, let's talk to the, let's, let's go to the big money now, the really big money. Give us a sense of the scale here, Glenn. How much money generated in Aotearoa is being shifted offshore by multinational concerns? Right. Well, this, this work was done by Tax Justice Network, which is the international uh, organisation that, that we affiliate to um, as Tax Justice Aotearoa. Um, and this is the second of their state of tax justice reports. The first came out in 2020. Um, look, globally, they, they estimate that over um, the next decade, um, countries will lose $4.7 trillion in future public money um, as a result of two things. Um, multinational companies um, shifting their profits overseas um, and therefore avoiding tax in the country of origin, and two, individuals, um, wealthy individuals hiding access and income streams overseas in tax havens. So in, in New Zealand, the estimates are, um, in terms of the uh, multinationals, it's $1.5 billion generated in New Zealand by multinational companies has shifted offshore to other countries, losing out around about sorry, $430 million in tax. In terms of individuals uh, and their wealth, the estimates there are of $9.6 billion being held offshore in, um, in tax havens in other countries um, at a loss of around estimated at one point, uh, it's $167 million. Let's so those, go to our, those are the estimates. Let's yeah. go to our panel on the Cindy Michener. Glenn, aren't they doing something in Europe uh, around the multinationals? They're actually changing the laws in the European Parliament for the, you know, the tax laws for the big multinationals, making it, uh, you know, so that they've got to be taxed at uh, point of purchase or, you know, place of sale is where the tax is you can't just you know like they charge themselves all the intercompany charges are how this is done is it would it be reasonably easy for us to follow the lead of the european parliament uh look there is a bill before the house at the moment which is making an attempt around um around uh to, to implement uh, an international agreement that came out of the oecd yeah. uh around a minimum rate of of corporate tax um, that would that all countries um, in, who sign up to this would sign up to this rate, which is a very low. It's only about fifteen percent. But the idea is to get all countries signing up to that. But fifteen percent is better than nothing. Oh, it is. At the moment, our rate is twenty-eight percent. That's the corporate tax rate. Uh, the the other thing is is the question of people m- moving money offshore, and that's big and complicated. And 
uh, what, what's required is greater transparency. We, we need country-to-country reporting so we know that uh, where the money is coming from and where it's going to, uh, that we can see that more clearly. Chris? Yeah, I've always wondered how does it work when you're buying goods from overseas? We do so much transaction online now, you know, whether you're buying stuff out of China, like electronics like I have, or even clothes from Australia, or, or, or stuff from the States. Um, about jurisdiction, how does that work? Uh, well, that's the, the issue there is, is a digital services tax, um, and um, that's something that I know is being looked into here. Um, we haven't got there yet. Um, it's a, it is something that you know I think needs to be addressed. I agree, but it's um, it's something that we haven't got yet. Yes. So, uh, in terms of uh, where to go from here, because it is a significant uh, amount of money, multinationals shifted two point five billion dollars earned in New Zealand overseas last year. What's what's the solution? What can we do about it? Well, you know, these are fairly complicated um, issues. Um, we, we, we think that we need uh, trans, uh, greater transparency. Um, we need to understand um, what's going on. We need light shed on the activities and behaviour of both multinational companies and rich individuals who hide their money offshore in low-tax place, low places. Um, we also need, um, and this is something that Tax Justice Network has been calling for, an independent body to set standards and rules for the global tax policy and law. At the moment, uh, international tax policy is largely driven by the OECD, which is largely the rich countries in the world. Um, but a UN tax convention um, would go um, some way to uh, establishing a more independent um, approach. And so I understand my, that this is something that could well be coming up in, in December um, this year. So we will be whoever the government is at that point, we'll be asking them to take a positive approach towards that. All right, Glenn, very good. That's Glenn Barclay, the chairperson of Tax Justice Aotearoa. Just coming in with a um, couple of bits of feedback for you here. Um, Wallace says, Pete and Hastings, you are so right. At the opening notes of Sledgehammer, I cranked the stereo so high and so fast that your dulcet tones became the booming voice of a deity. (laughs) when your commentary resumed faster than I expected. (laughs) (laughs) I hope he wasn't driving. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Um, Come on, these young parents had the kids, their decision. Why should the grandparents bring up the kids? What a selfish attitude. The parents did their bit, now they deserve some fun. Go to Taormina or the Gold Coast or to Hamilton. Wherever you want to go, and just one here on uh, the grand uh, on the Cindy's. Uh, I've been thinking uh, that three days bereavement is nothing. Uh, Cindy made a person pull over the car and cry as a small business owner. Another one here says, "Well, I'm the owner of a small sustainability consultancy, and I totally agree. Three days bereavement, ludicrous. It's a strong example of how our economic system and business culture is so far removed from actually being a human. You have to ask, who came up with this? We have 10 days in our employee contracts, but to be honest, I would let staff take longer if they needed it despite that crippling the business. I am confident our clients would all be understanding if they were impacted by my staff being away due to the death of a family member. To my fellow business owners, of which I am one, be the change you want to see in the world. People before profit. 
Well, and you know, I just think that the staff member will be so appreciative that if you think long term about their loyalty to the company, their productivity, etc., they're going to have a really positive attitude because of the level of help and support right. that they've been given. 16 sorry 15 to 5 the panel RNZ National now we love online shopping in New Zealand don't we it took off during the pandemic when we purchased our craft kits trackies and hot water bottles and we haven't looked back last year our collective online shopping had hit the 6 billion dollar mark sadly there seems to be just as many online shopping disaster stories here's mine I bought a box of chocolates for mum for a very special birthday a significant birthday I ordered uh, five days before to get there in time it came three weeks after so what do we do when things don't go to plan with us is Jessica Walker from a consumer NZ Jessica Kiora. Thank you, Wallace. Let's start with delivery. Three weeks, <laughs> three weeks, Auckland to Hamilton, down the line, couple of hours. Should I be lawyering up? That's a <laughs> terrible story, and your poor mother not getting those chocolates on her significant birthday. So, yeah, you're quite right in this situation. You know, the Consumer Guarantees Act has potentially been breached. You bought those expecting them to be with your mother on her birthday, and three weeks later, that's not what you're expecting. So, in, in this instance, you know, once your mum's birthday had passed, you'd have been well within your rights to contact that retailer, cancel your order and get a full refund because, frankly, that's just not good enough. Yeah, I was really upset, actually. But can I just uh, can I put a good news spin on it before we go to the panelists? Um, yes, I contacted please. the retailer, which was, I think it was a uh, chocolates place in Parnell, and they responded the same day. They said we shipped it out uh, the day after. They provided me a full refund on the day. I was super impressed, and the chocolates even arrived Three weeks later, so um, oh, that's not the worst outcome, is it? No, I, I was I was actually very very impressed with the response of the retailer. In fact, I said you know it couldn't go better. Nonetheless, Cindy, so a complete opposite of my story. So Jessica, I bought online a Spark mobile phone cell tower booster and it, it was not a Spark product but it said it was for mm. to boost the reception because I live in Caracas and oh, yeah. I bought it, it was like 400 odd dollars or something for 4G or whatever and of course I get it yeah. and it doesn't work at all and the website said you know money back guarantee just you know communicate blah 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 so you know like 20 emails later I googled them and I mean the street address that they gave isn't there. It's a, it was a, a, a Chinese company and there was no reply for anything ever. So I thought I'm going to be more belligerent than you. So I <laughs> attacked them for about six weeks and just absolutely zip. I, so I rang, was it NetSafe or someone? I don't know. I rang a oh, couple yeah. of people. In the end, just too hard. Okay. So, so I want to bring Chris in as well before we go to um, just back to Jess. Yeah, I mean, I think overall, I mean, we, we saw it and I think things, I'm not sure things have recovered from uh, our COVID times when, you know, the big bottleneck was in Auckland, stuff was coming, particularly from across the Tasman, and I had something that I had ordered, I can't remember even what it was now, I think it was clothing. It got to Auckland within 36 hours of, of order being, the button being pressed, and then it stayed in Auckland for nearly a month. Um, and right. okay, there were challenges, and I sort of feel like that that hasn't fully recovered. 
So the, the the blockage is often in the okay. delivery chain, not in the yeah. the um the yeah, supplier. Yeah, yeah, we do end. hear that quite a lot. Jessica? Yeah. Yeah, that's so frustrating. So with the case with, you know, the booster that didn't boost, and obviously that's a a major defect in that product, so you would be entitled to a refund, but then if you can't get hold of of the retailer or the person that supplied it, then you're in a real tricky situation, aren't you? So we always recommend that people purchase things using a credit or a debit card, and that way, if you find yourself in a situation like this, you can ask your bank to do what's called a chargeback. And providing you do that within 120 days of making the transaction, they should be able to reverse that charge for you. And then at least that way you're not losing out on the money. But what a horrible situation. And then in the same way, you know, if you if you order something and you can see that it's sitting at a port or it's in Auckland and it's not moving, then um, what, what usually happens is when you make a purchase, you'll get an estimated delivery date. And if estimated delivery date gets pushed out or, you know, it looks like you're going to receive something well after you're expecting it, then again, you are within your rights to cancel and request a refund because, frankly, it isn't good enough. And um, it's not actually on the the, um, the courier to get it to you. The, the liability stops with, with the retailer. So, Jessica, I live in... Karaka, and the actual address is RD1, but you know, to be honest, it's 11 minutes from the motorway, so it's closer yeah. than a lot of city suburbs. Sometimes, if I order, like I ordered um, some alcohol online and I got my bottle of gin one week and the tonic the following right. week, which frankly <laughs> is just not helpful. Well, at least you it's know, the right way around, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, you know. All right. Okay, we'll make sure next time we get those two bottles together. Thank you, Cindy. Absolutely. And Jessica, kia ora. I appreciate your time. That's Jessica Walker from Consumer NZ. Now, um, by the way, the panel, if you don't uh, catch it live, it is on iHeart, it's on Spotify, and it is on Apple uh, if you want to go listen back to uh, other uh, episodes. And um, do you have a little fundraiser going on that you want to tell the panel about? A local school playground, a community compost, a fundraiser for a local forest. The Friday Fundy. Email me, the panel at rnz.co.nz. Finally on the show with uh, Chris Wikaida and Cindy Michener, we had a bit of response when Sue Bradford said that she would like to see the resumption of regional passenger rail. And she was talking really about Northland when where she recalls getting the Auckland to Okaiho rail train and several people said, get in touch with Barry. Who's Barry, I said. Well, Barry Reid is passionate about this. In fact, he designed a high-spec 21st century solar turbine electric drive rail car. It's very chic. You can have a look at the uh, the, the, the visual through uh, 3D at futurerailnz.com. It's quite impressive. With us is Barry Reid. Welcome, Barry. Hi, hi, Wallace. In fact, you're from Northland too, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm actually on the same road that Sue used to live on. <laughs> so you'll be very cognizant of what she is, because she was very passionate about regional rail. Just gorgeous. Your design looks like something out of Europe, maybe Switzerland. Wood panel, it's unreal. Tell us about this rail car. Well, it's actually not a new idea. Yeah. I, I was just looking back um, after talking to your producer, and... Um, in 1928, there was a rail car that went from Christchurch to Little River, and um, it, it's called the Edison Battery. 
electric rail car, 1928. And, oh, um, gosh. and people loved it, you know, because it was quiet, there was no smoke, there was no, it, you know, there was none of the disadvantages of, of existing rail transport, but but it was really quick and, and quiet, of course. So, yeah, it, it had a good run until it, it, it suffered in a fire. You know, like it, the, 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 um, the shed burnt down and, and lost the rail car in there. Well, I don't, Barry, I don't know if um, the, the panellists have actually uh, managed to get a chance to have a look uh, at this at, at your iteration of what a rail car could look like for regional rail. Chris Wikaita, did you take a peek? Yeah, I did. It looks very, very cool. And the, the question that re- immediately came to me is, is, is how does that cope with our relatively, by international standards, narrow-gauge track bearing? Mm. Well, it's designed around that, Chris. The whole, the whole point of it is, is to... Um, Improve the traction and stability of it. So, yeah, it's it's designed around the, around what we've got rather than what we you know, might aspire to. But you have to remember, um, in in Queensland, the the rail gauge is the same, and their tilt trains are reaching 160k. So, hmm. so Barry, Barry, that's the the rail car itself. So, I mean, what's the engine? What what? I mean, it looks amazing. Right, no, fantastic. There's no, there's no, there's no engine. There's no engine every, because it's every, solar. Every, no, because it's electric. Electric, every, sorry. Um, every every wheel has a has a motor. Every wheel is driven. Okay, Amazing. so have you got Amazing. Have you got um, proof of concept in terms of safety? Is there a, uh, rail cars like this around the world? Um, there are, there are, there are, but they're, they're slower on our on our track system, you know, they, they, and that's the problem. We're we're importing um, machinery that's really designed for straight line, you know, and they don't necessarily cope that well with you know the the wind, you know, because our our track's quite winding up here, especially. But so you know that this your design is safe. Well, it, as with everything that you do new, it would be tested to destruction, I imagine. Did you? Uh, I understand that you worked with the legendary John Britton in Christchurch, Barry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was that was what sort of made me start to think about it, really, because we worked on what was called Cathedral Junction, and his idea there was to integrate the trams to buy a to buy a um, twin set, yeah, one of the old Fiat twin set rail cars, and refurbish it so that would run between Littleton and Addington. And link up to the trams. The buses would link up to the tram loop. Yeah, rather than be a tourist trap, it would be mm. part of the transport system. Mm. And of course, once you get to Addington, you are then on the network. So, yeah, and, and integration. He was a he was a great thinker. Mm. Uh, yeah. well, an icon, wasn't he, of, of engineering yeah. thinking, John Britton? Let yeah. me ask you then, yeah. Barry, uh, if regional rail came back as Sue Bradford would like it to be done, how would it be done finally? Well, unless unless you can um, unless things can be quick, you know, and unless it to to put a train on like Tahiria, it, 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 it's pretty sluggish. You know, that's the trouble. And you, you really want to compete with cars in terms of time, but also in terms of comfort. And and what you can't do in a car, of course, is you know look out at the scenery or do your work at your computer. Um, you know, have Wi-Fi. You know what I mean? Like, so you, the idea is, if you're going to do it, you should make it more attractive than a car. 
Really, really interesting stuff, Barry. Thank, uh, thank you very, very much for your time on that. Uh, and I do encourage people to go and have a look at uh, futurailnz.com. Someone says here there is a full solar electric railway in Brisbane. It's something that people love, don't they, Chris, the idea of rail, whether or not... Oh, same. Yeah, yeah. but I, we talk about you know it being sluggish. I remember you know going between parents' places in uh, school holidays yeah. from Tomaranui to Christchurch, and you went on two trains and a ferry, and it took twenty <laughs> hours. Because at that stage, you know, uh, domestic air travel was cost prohibitive. Slow travel. Well, this would be a, a, a boon, you know, to get the short haul commuter stuff going, wouldn't it? I mean, we've got a. I mean, as I said, I live in Karaka, and I'm in a traffic jam most of my life. Yeah, well, you're going back to Karaka after this, aren't you? So, so, it'll take me two hours. Well, thanks for coming in, both of you. I really appreciate your time. Uh, wonderful stuff. Chris Wikaira, Cindy Michener, tomorrow, Power Ballad Friday. Turn it up loud for once. Lisa Owen with Checkpoint next. See you tomorrow.